Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Her Life Blogcast. I'm your host, Rachel Malik, and I am starting a whole new thing this week, which is essentially where the idea for the blogcast began anyway. I want to give you a little bit of backstory before we transition in. So part of the reason why the blogcast was supposed to stand out from the oversaturated market of podcasting right now is its draw of being an audio blog. I wanted it to feel like Emma, Hannah, and I were just blogging out to you in a much more interpersonal way because it was like a conversation, not just a written blog post. But as quarantine happened, we kind of got into a more typical podcast dynamic, I would say, and I'm really happy with it. I think we're putting out really great work that I'm proud of. But I kind of wanted to return to the roots of what the blogcast was initially going to be if everything went as planned. And so I'm starting a new bonus episode kind of situation where I will read blog posts that I've done, kind of like an audiobook situation, just as a new way to get content to you guys. If you're not a big reader, if you don't want to read the article, we'll read it to you. So this is my first experiment with that. Please let us know what you think. What you're about to hear is a reading of a blog post I wrote about Taylor Swift and her new album and Beyonce and the new visual album that is just no one can stop talking about it, including myself. So without further ado, I'm going to transition right on in. Like I said, let us know what you think, but please, please enjoy. When my kids ask about Black is King, a reflection on the ever-increasing substance of pop culture. A blog post by Rachel Malik. I started my week frantically filling in my planner to the somber soundtrack of Taylor Swift's folklore. And let me say this, I can't even imagine experiencing this album during a time of romantic trauma, or even romance, period. Here I was, organizing a to-do list of job applications and podcast preparations while processing feelings about breakups that didn't even happen to me. To say my headspace was jumbled is an understatement. But to say I was not and am not utterly mesmerized by Taylor Swift's ability to unite the heartbroken, past, present, and future, would be a lie. I'm obviously impressed by Taylor's creative productivity in a time altogether devoid of inspiration. She's proven her artistry and her independence simultaneously, releasing an album that doesn't need strategic promotional efforts, that doesn't need the preview of an early release single, that doesn't even need notice. With nothing but a few black and white photos in a forest and 24 hours warning, Taylor Swift dropped what critics are calling, quote, the most head-spinning, heartbreaking, emotionally ambitious songs of her life. And this is from the woman who gave us all too well. Just saying. Her sheer artistry is almost overwhelming, and I say this even through a critical lens. Taylor Swift fans have to be critical. She has reached that level of stardom that comes with the awkward grappling between labels. Automatically brilliant? or overly hyped. As I see it, there are two possible explanations for what I'll call the eye-roll response to folklore. One, you simply didn't listen to it, or didn't do so attentively. Two, you refuse to recognize the fact that the line between popular culture and high culture, that is, what might be considered aesthetically exemplary or intellectual, is becoming increasingly blurred. Which leads me to Beyonce. If Taylor had waited to release this album under normal circumstances, those are the circumstances that would have typically made her, quote, overthink when to release this music at the perfect time, I don't think she would have done so just a week before the premiere of Beyoncé's Black is King. These are two 
major moments for us pop culture enthusiasts. Beyond that, at first glance, these are two very distinct moments in pop culture history. One indicative of idle time and quarantine feels, and the other representative of African diaspora and its oppressive American connotations. But just as COVID-19 is now inextricably linked to Black Lives Matter in the hearts and histories of Americans, so too will folklore be linked to Black as King in my mind. Let's start with a few comparisons. 1. This stunning artistry. Where Taylor paints vivid pictures of love triangles and lost affections, Beyoncé presents a snapshot, or should I say hundreds of snapshots, of African storytelling. Taylor's is a rich kind of narrative that necessitates impeccable lyrical imagery. Beyoncé's a choreographic expression of undeniable celebration. Both are filled to their respective rims with so much creativity and finesse that it's near impossible to catch it all on the first watch or listen. 2. Of the moment, if unexpected, collaborations. Critics were somewhat surprised by Taylor's, quote, musical heroes who collaborated on folklore. Aaron Dessner, Bon Iver, William Bowery, and Jack Antonoff, to name a few. As for Black is King, Beyoncé shared the screen with lesser-known African collaborators like Busiswa, Salatiel, Yemi Alladay, Techno, and Mr. Easy. 3. Passing along a narrative. There's no doubt Taylor Swift will be remembered for her songwriting talent. Her poetry is as authentic and relatable as her music is catchy and experimental. This album is perhaps her most cohesive work to date. Even its title, Folklore, suggests the power of oral tradition. Meanwhile, Beyoncé's film is literally meant to inspire the next generation, quote, for young kings and queens in search of their own crowns. Now I'll admit, I was a Taylor Swift fan long before I considered myself a Beyoncé fan. I think that's why, aside from the timing of their releases, I tackled both in a single post. I feel more comfortable, perhaps, discussing Beyoncé in the context of Taylor Swift, even if most would have inverted the two or separated them entirely. My Beyoncé fandom actually stemmed from an academic syllabus, which led to many more academic syllabi by the time I graduated with my English and comm degrees. So firstly, thank you to Professor Carolyn Haggard for assigning Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's We Should All Be Feminists. Thank you for watching us react to Beyoncé's flawless video featuring that Adichie sample. I remember feeling embarrassed for being so unfamiliar with the video, especially compared to my classmates, who quickly jumped into discussions about Beyoncé's expression of black female anger. They made brilliant comments about Beyoncé's cultural disobedience and celebrated the megastar for leaning into such a stereotype, as I sat there in awe. The following semester, I'd scan another syllabus, from page to screen, literary adaptations and American cinema, only to find more Beyoncé. Professor Caitlin Colley assigned the 2006 visual album Lemonade to be analyzed alongside Claudia Rankine's lyric poem, Don't Let Me Be Lonely. I was thrilled, not to mention a bit more prepared, to revisit Beyoncé through an academic lens. Beyoncé put a face to intersectionality in a way that Kimberly Crenshaw couldn't, at least for me. Thus began my fascination with the popular versus high culture dichotomy. As referenced in my title, I'm writing this piece so I can give my future kids some tangible semblance of my reactions to this cultural moment. Because I genuinely think Black as King will maintain a level of cultural prowess that will make it iconic. We'll look back on this visual album the same way we look back on JLo's green Versace dress or Meghan Markle's royal wedding, but with a notable, and I'll take this opportunity to emphasize just how notable, added significance of a contextual civil rights movement. When they ask what it was like to experience the premiere of Black is King in real time, I'll show them this blog post. 
They'll ask questions about life in a pandemic, that is, if we're not still wearing masks, and maybe they'll revisit folklore while they're at it. I'll take it one step further. Here's my prediction. 25 plus years from now, my kids will recognize this moment as a turning point of sorts, one where pop culture stops getting dismissed as fluff content. With every passing day, with every released piece of meaningful content, we're getting closer and closer to more open dialogues, to more substantial discussion among friends and peers and coworkers and family members. And make no mistake, this is already underway. Think about it. Football games have been sites of political activism for years now. Sustainability is slowly but surely becoming a requirement in the fashion industry. Killjoy films are grossing higher and higher numbers at the box office and on streaming services. We are existing, and in many cases, creating content at a time when the rules are actively changing. The standards are being redefined as we speak, and so too will the ways we consume and analyze content. The critical lens becomes increasingly necessary as the work itself becomes increasingly meaningful. That's the point. The days of passive consumption are passing quickly, and I, for one, am excited to usher in a new age of popular culture that unapologetically intrudes the high culture space. What a great way to track our progress. This is something I'd write about for a final paper if I were still in school. All my favorite projects essentially argued this very point. And it started back in middle school, in fact, when I wrote my first research paper on Coco Chanel and her groundbreaking feminist designs. I would later use that assignment as inspiration for a National History Day project. My partner and I were met with many an eye roll, but it never stopped us. I continued weaving my pop culture interest into my academic studies in college. The 16-page paper I wrote about the Devil Wears Prada's Miranda Priestly ultimately garnered an A in the class and a cash prize from the Fordham University English Department. Here's my thesis. Miranda's otherness is encapsulated by her womanhood, and so a critique of the enduring patriarchy, as present in medieval texts as it is in modern film, highlights the demonization of progress and feminism, begging the question of society's role in monster-making. Then there was the comparison I drew between Jane Austen's classic Pride and Prejudice and every New York woman's gospel, Sex and the City. I argue that in nuancing the depictions of romantic relationships, in addition to the heroines in those relationships, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice and HBO's Sex and the City, based on the novel by Candace Bushnell, are progressive in their willingness to fictionalize real-world issues in ways that refuse to ignore the unavoidable complexities of any person and or any love story. More recently, there was my paper on the viral Instagram account and successful podcast, Comments by Celebs. In drawing back the veil from the heavily mediated world of celebrity engagement, hosts Emma Diamond and Julie Kramer invite the everyday social media user into the celebrity world, but in doing so, they too perform authenticity for promotional payoffs. My point here is this. I've been ignoring the dismissive smirks and disapproving comments of some of my professors for years, for my entire academic career, in fact because I've always had this hunch that the content we watch and listen to is shaping our culture in ways most high-culture aficionados are quick to dismiss. Let's let Black as King be a turning point, a clear example of why and how pop culture is informing younger generations about incredibly significant social progress. Similarly, let folklore be an accessible form of art that informs us about poetry as much as it mends our broken hearts. Efforts like these deserve the critical attention that academics like Professor Haggard and Cauley have already been giving it. Their classes, for example, helped me validate my pop culture passion, which I truly hope to turn into a career. I appreciate that now even more than I realized at the time. 
So watch your guilty pleasure TV shows. Turn up the volume on Taylor Swift unapologetically. Engage in meaningful conversations about Black is King and know that there's always analysis to be done. Just because it's pop culture doesn't mean it's lowbrow. In fact, I argue the exact opposite.